So Ono is basically uh, a cloud kitchen company which owns zero cloud kitchens. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Clueless Capitalist. My name is Razi. And I'm Osman and together we're the Clueless Capitalist. So for this episode, we have Tahmid uh, from Ono who's joining us for this special episode and he's going to share with us about his startup Ono where what they do is to empower SME restaurants in emerging markets through technology, virtual menu concepts, training and digital branding. Ono won uh, the Impact Collective Fund Korea uh, last year as one of the 10 winners. And just yesterday, I think, or two days ago, they were offici- they officially joined the Techne Venture Builder Program, uh, which is a hospitality-focused accelerator pre- program based out of Silicon Valley. So thank you, Tahmid, for joining us this uh, afternoon. Thank you, Raji, for having me. And uh, thank you, Osman. So maybe we could get started with you explaining to us what does Onno do? So Onno is basically uh, a cloud kitchen company which owns zero cloud kitchens. So that's the easiest way I can put it through. Uh, We are incorporated in Singapore and we have picked Bangladesh as our first country where we've entered. Obviously, Bangladesh is a country of over 165 million people where 50% of the population are under the age of 30. So we feel this is the country that we can start. But obviously our focus is to empower SME restaurants all across emerging markets in Asia. So yeah, I mean, we started with Bangladesh, let's win this market and gradually we'll get into markets like India, Pakistan, and the other markets nearby. Okay, um, that's uh, really, really uh, interesting. A cloud kitchen company with zero cloud kitchens. I think let, let's go through your pitch deck and let's uh, let's uh, and let us and the audience um, uh, hear how you would typically position uh, Onno and uh, and we can take it from there. Onno is uh, the, the name itself comes from the Bengali word Onno, which basically means uh, food or let's put it this way, staple rice, something like that. So it's all about food that we do. So we are an internet restaurant platform for SME restaurants, as I've already mentioned. And I'm Tamid and I'm the CEO of Onno. So as we speak, over 1 million SME restaurants, where 42 million people are working, are struggling due to the fierce competition they face from large corporation, large restaurant chains, who obviously got access to better tech. They have access to better brand names, lower cost operations, and much higher marketing budgets. But on the other side, the small restaurants, uh, they don't uh, actually have the capacity at this point, and obviously with rising food costs and everything. So they don't have the capacity to compete with the large restaurant chain. So that's where we come in. Uh, we have developed an asset like Cloud Kitchen operation where we actually want to help those SME restaurants to compete with the large restaurant chain. It's a very complicated diagram, but let me make it very easy for you. So basically, we are doing two innovations. Number one is obviously, unlike other cloud kitchen companies, we do not invest in building actual cloud kitchens. We utilize the underutilized kitchen space and resources inside SME restaurants. So we give our Onno virtual brands to them. Uh, They produce the food for us. And apart from that, everything else like marketing, order generation, R&D, technology, everything is actually done from our end. So we also help them with the third-party logistics connection. We also help them with the aggregator order creation and everything. All they have to do is uh, they get the meal kits from us. They get all the raw materials from us. They have to buy it from us. And then they have to follow our SOPs and prepare the food as per the order. So that's pretty much all they do. 
So for the last one and a half year, we have been building all these very unique food concepts, unique in their own ways with exciting packaging and all that. So these are our IPs, which means that we own all these virtual brands and you can only order these brands online. So our model is a combination of just in time OEM and franchise where we just package all most types and 95% of the ingredients comes from our central standardization hubs, which actually uh, sends the raw materials. Once the uh, partner or restaurant partners have placed an order on our on operating system. So this is kind of how we do the packaging and then we send it to the restaurant so that they can follow our SOPs and make the food. So why now? Uh, as I've already mentioned, Bangladesh is having over 100 million uh, internet users. Bangladesh has a very, uh, I'd say, young population with increasing disposable income. Online food delivery is growing at a rate of 28% across emerging markets in Asia. And obviously, SME restaurants are currently having this uh, big problem of survival. So what we say is the online food delivery market is almost $45 billion. But we also see that there is a much bigger supply chain market also within this. So that is also something that we are very much interested in also. So in terms of competition, uh, there are a couple of companies out there in the market, especially in Bangladesh, companies like CP Chicken, uh, Kazi Farms. They also do the very similar uh, franchise business. But the only difference is they're very much focused towards dining, whereas we are focused towards virtual. So. We have a heavy focus on tech. We have a heavy focus on D2C also. So the thing is, uh, our brands are fully digital and can only be ordered online. So even after buying all the raw materials from us, the restaurant partners make almost 30 to 35% profit. So which is quite good. For example, a few of my partners are able to pay 50% of their staff cost only from the profit they might make by doing our brands from the kitchen. So as we speak, we in the last four months, we have added 42 internet restaurants, so which I believe will touch almost 120 by the end of this year. So we are growing at a rapid pace. Almost we are growing at a 40% month-on-month growth in terms of GMV and our net revenue. So technology plays a big role in what we do. Starting from placing an order for the raw materials and until the food is delivered to the end consumer, the whole stack tech stack is developed in-house so we control every part of the ordering process we control every part of the production process and our restaurant partners uh, have access to the whole on operating system so our team with over 25 years of uh, actual business experience i have previously co-founded a 50 million turnover retail company uh, nafu uh, had an award-winning restaurant in singapore Drubhajit has been working in the tech side for almost five years in Singapore and Choyon has over 10 years of experience in uh, MNCs. So in terms of traction, until 25 of May, we generated uh, over $200,000 GMV. However, I have to remind you that we are a real revenue company. That means 60% of the GMV actually goes into our revenues. And we have catered over 80,000 orders and delivered over 135,000 items. So as of now, we have been raising our seed round. Previously, we did our uh, pre-seed. Now we're doing our seed round of $250,000. And we have uh, also received an investment from the Ventures Korea after winning Impact Collective. We are raising an investment from Silicon Valley Techne Ventures. And then we are raising investment from a couple of angel investors in Saudi, in Bangladesh. And on top of it, we have a space for $100,000. So uh, we are closing that within the next two months.
So our impact vision is to build a digitized, sustainable and safe restaurant industry where it's safe for the employees who work here, it's safe for the people who eat the food and it's also safe for the people who invested in the sector, the restaurant owners. So going forward, we have a big dream, I'd say there are a couple of very interesting concepts that is unique to Bangladesh and Bangladeshi cuisine that we want to take across the globe and to other markets in other uh, emerging markets in Asia. So that's also something that we are working on, how we can take our brands across the globe. Finally, uh, I just wanted to say that the government of Bangladesh actually recognized us as the top nine startups in Bangladesh. We have also received a grant from the ICT division. We have been supported by Telinor Group, which runs the Gramin Phone Accelerator, and we have been part of it. And then obviously, as you have mentioned before, we have been a winner at Impact Collective, which is one of the largest accelerator program for impact-driven startups in Asia. So yeah, that's pretty much all about Onno. So happy to welcome any question. Thank you, Tahmid. So thank you for bringing us through your pitch deck. As you were sharing that, one of the, one of the many questions that came to my mind um, was this one, where you mentioned that you exited a previous company which was 50 million dollars and you exited in 2019 so yeah. what inspired you to start uh, on no like what's the story behind that yeah so uh okay let's go back to that company so it was a retail company in a very traditional format right and what we were seeing was that uh, obviously uh, it was kind of a combination of a family business also where we had uh, my father my elder brother we were all part of this and then we had other investors and shareholders also and what i felt personally was uh, the growth was very uh, slow uh, this, the company is very traditional uh, they don't have much of a technology play in that so i wanted to be part of something that obviously has tech and on top of it, I have been a home cook for the last 12 years, so I am very much passionate about food. So I was exploring uh, in which domain we could uh, you know, explore both tech and food at the same time. And then I came across a cloud kitchen company in Canada. Uh, so he actually introduced me to this new world of business where you know, things are very much digital, things are very much you know, uh, invisible in a sense that you don't know where the food is coming from. So I found it very exciting. And then I reached out to Nafi, Nafiur and then Choyon and then I shared, hey, this is something very exciting that we can do in Bangladesh. So no one's doing it. So, but then later on, I realized that a company called Cludio was also doing the same. Uh, but then, you know, uh, we, we thought of doing cloud kitchens, basic cloud kitchens, you know, and have, let's say, 50 cloud kitchens across Bangladesh. But then little we knew that, you know, this is not a very much scalable model. And once we started speaking to a lot of VCs, we realized that, yeah, this is actually not investable. This is not scalable. So we then stopped the whole cloud kitchen concept and then moved to this concept of where we don't necessarily own any cloud kitchen. So that's how things uh, happen eventually. Okay, so that's, uh, that's quite an interesting uh, origin story. So you had you exited from that family business and then because you're a home cook and you had friends who owned uh, restaurants and then someone introduced you to this concept in Canada and that's how you brought it to Bangladesh. Very interesting. Just run by me again, what makes you stand out differently from that? Uh, and I understand the the fact that you're not running your own cloud kitchen, but what makes you think that your operational model is more scalable and more investable yeah so uh, just wanted to touch uh, upon those two things that i've mentioned previously so that makes us very different from uh, cludio which do not exist anymore but uh, one of them obviously being that we do not build kitchens which cludio was doing they were building kitchens 
and that was obviously uh, very much uh, capital intensive so uh, you were not investing investors money in actually growth you're putting the money in building something you know as building assets basically which obviously has a very high depreciation uh, restaurant equipments and all that so we didn't want to go to that route anymore so we changed into this asset light model and another one would be we we uh, envisioned a, a kind of a mcdonald's that we want to replicate in the virtual world so we focus a lot on our centralized uh, it's a standardization hub. So that is a kind of a factory which gets uh, goods from different suppliers, adds value to it, and then prepares meal kits and send to the uh, restaurant partners, which makes their life so easier. So that is also something uh, I'd say that's very much innovative about Onno also. So we focus so much on the supply chain side and working on those kits, right? So that is also something that obviously Cluedo was not doing. So these are the two main things. And But additionally, what I felt was... Uh, at this point, uh, when Cluedo started, it was, uh, I don't think it was the best decision to go into building their own apps. Uh, so what we did was rather than investing uh, money in building our own app, we focused on building a very good partnership with aggregators. So our key partners are Patao and Hangrinaki. Uh, Hangrinaki obviously owned by Taraz, which is owned by Alibaba. And Patao is the largest ride-sharing platform in Bangladesh. So we have a very good relationship with these two uh, companies and they actually consider our brands as their own brands. So they also help us in this whole, uh, I'd say, when we enter a new market every month, we are adding four to five partners. So whenever there's a new outlet out there, we get immense support from those guys. So that's what we felt, you know, relationship is key. And this is also, again, something that George taught me in Canada, that, you know, if you want to do something, you have to have built a very good relationship with the aggregators because they're going to eventually get you the orders. Okay. And uh, uh, if you can just talk through the aggregator model, because you, you've talked about tech as well. So what role does your tech play with the aggregator model? How, how does that all work? Yeah. So what we're doing now is for every restaurants out there, and this is not happening now, but this is what we are planning to do is every restaurant will get this device and our on operating system will be connected through an API with the aggregators. So once the end consumer places an order on, let's say, Patao and Hungry Naki, so the order will directly come into our system and then we can transfer it to the available restaurants out there. So the whole, uh, I'd say, uh, the KDS, uh, so the kitchen management system, everything. So we'll know exactly which kitchen is busy, which partner is not busy. And since we'll be having, let's say, 200, uh, let's uh, one, outlet every 250 meter because obviously we want to do things very hyper local also so what happens is we know exactly which kitchen is busy which kitchen kitchen is available so we're going to push the orders uh, automatically from our system so that's what we're working on building an api with those uh, partners okay so that tech isn't here yet it's still in no 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 so uh, we're developing it in phase by phase. So this model, actually, we have started officially only six months ago. So we were uh, doing everything wrong before that. So we were doing all the cloud kitchen and all that. So we had to close it down and then move to this model. So it's only six months that we're doing. So now for now, what we have is basically uh, we have the ordering system in place where our restaurant partners can place order to our kitchens. And then, you know, we can obviously run our centralized standardization hub also using the same software. So that's what we're building. Going forward, obviously, we're going to add all these features, as I also mentioned just now. Okay. And, and that's, uh, I think for the viewers that are watching, this is really important because it's not a weakness if you identify that you've 
you're not doing something right and you're changing. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The, the companies that you invest in on day one are not necessarily the, the company that you'll exit on day 10. There, there's a good chance that the companies will pivot as they go along and that's perfectly acceptable and normal and vastly different to a lot of the big large companies that you see today that take a lot of time to analyze the data, work out what's working, what's not going right, get consensus and then move. By the time they've moved, the market's moved. Here what you're doing is you're identifying something very quickly, identifying what's not working and either dropping it, adapting it, effectively pivoting to something that does work. And uh, and it shouldn't be seen by investors as a bad thing, but um, uh, as seen as a, as a positive that you're able to quickly identify uh, what's working, what's not working and making that change. So um, ju just going back into, you know, the the comment that you made earlier on as well, that you're an asset light model. Walk me through what is what you would class as an asset and, and what is asset light in this case? Yeah, so, okay, so uh, let's put it this way. In our uh, virtual restaurant business, obviously the key assets are the kitchen equipments, the kitchen real estate, and obviously uh, anything associated with cooking, right? So that's what where we don't invest money in. So previously we were doing so you want to open up a kitchen minimum you have to spend twenty five to thirty thousand dollars so you open up three kitchen almost hundred thousand dollars is gone so that's where we don't want to invest our money in so we want to invest money in marketing business development and you know building brands and doing the continuous r d with our products so that will allow us to scale uh, and then put our whole focus in growth again by all means there are companies out there like keto so Rebel Foods, they have raised millions to invest in kitchens, right? But what we felt is that uh, for Bangladesh, you know, uh, it's not a matter of joke to raise like, you know, Rebel, like the Rebel standard or Keto P standard. So it's not going to happen now. Maybe if it was a different market, we could have gone that route. I mean, that could have worked. But for Bangladesh, we felt this is an opportunity because there's so many restaurants out there sitting idle, underutilized. So this is actually a bigger problem. So that's what we felt, okay, this is the right thing to do at this point. And obviously, uh, we are active learners. We have spoke to like almost 100 VCs out there. We have taken the, you know, all the feedback and not that, you know, every, all the feedbacks were appropriate, but yeah, we, we did uh, get very common feedback from a lot of, you know, experts in the field. And so we thought, okay, no, if there's so many people, other experts are saying this, so maybe we're doing something in a wrong way. So let's go back to the drawing board and then let's see how we can do it in a way that their money is actually put into growth. So then uh, after almost, I'd say a week of, you know, uh, you know, going back to the scratch board, uh, doing the things again, uh, we decided, no, this is not gonna work. So we'll move into this new model where we don't actually put money in the equipments. So there are so many people who are already invested in the equipment. So rather we partner up with them. Okay, and that and that again is a, is a good segue into like when we compare ourselves to other industries. What blew the mind of most people when Uber came to to prominence was they they were a a ride hailing company with zero assets. They had no cars. They had no drivers. They didn't need to have a big employment payroll. They didn't need to invest billions in vehicles because they were already there. They were just underutilized and then what they were doing was just matching demand with supply and that's kind of what you're doing here with the, the fact that you've got big supply in terms of kitchens, lots of people running them and and the demand is there from, from the consumer side um, 
but what people lack is the consistency of product and and uh, and quality of product. And and if you're able to utilize the the resources that are already there, it, everyone's a winner. The, the yeah. restaurant owner sees higher utilization, and the consumer gets consistent quality produce at the end of the day. Exactly, and I just wanted to add a few things. Obviously, operational-wise, we had to make certain changes. Uh, so I don't think anyone else were doing anything like this. So we have developed a team of you know quality control officers, the field force. You know, these are not like uh, they're they're like expert in knowing uh, you know when the SOP is not being followed. So we have trained them in this way. So this field force, their job is to you know visit the partners regularly and then make sure that they are following our SOPs. Right, that's one thing. On top of it, uh, we obviously utilize the our hub, the central hub which actually does 95% of the work anyway. So uh, the restaurants do not have much to do. So it's I'd say only 5% value addition that they're doing. So uh, even after doing 5% value addition, they make almost 30-35% profit, which is a great deal for them. And hence, we have almost 50 partners waiting in the pipeline that we could not activate yet. So that's amazing. I mean, we, we feel good because and then the word of mouth is spreading like crazy. Uh, so people are, you know, a lot of restaurant partners, you know, uh, they don't know about this concept. So we're doing uh, PR with different newspapers, writing uh, articles in uh, Bengali in very simple terms, what we exactly do, where the innovation is. So that way we're getting an amazing response from the partners and our existing partners, obviously, since it's a new model, there's also a lot of learning out there. So they're sharing, okay, what is not working for them, what data they need regularly. So that input also we're putting into our uh, on no operating system. So our partners, whatever data they need, they don't have to reach out to us anymore. So we're going to put it on their dashboard so they can see how much money they're making, what orders they're getting, uh, how many returning customers, how many new customers. Every data will be there on the dashboard. So we are also, you know, this way we're making it much easier for the partners also to understand whether they're actually making money or not. I have a clueless question about, about this, right? So in, you mentioned that you have so many of these brands, right? Halim guys, you have Num Num and whatnot. So let's say, let's say the three of us own a, let's say there's Razi's Biryani shop and Osman's Biryani shop and Tahmid's Biryani shop. Okay. And all of us are located 250 meters or 500 meters apart. And yeah. we all decide to sell, to take the brand Halim guys. Yeah. Right? So how does it look like? So if someone orders online on via the, the app, um, yeah. they get routed to either one of our shops, which has the Halim guys brand. And do I already have a set amount of Halim in my shop that I can just prepare and send over? How does it work? I still don't understand uh, these proprietary brands and how yeah. much more do I need to do do and if yeah. multiple restaurants have multiple in addition to what they already sell they already might be selling biryani suddenly just adding in a, I don't know like a burger to their to their store like how does it all of this yeah. work okay I'll, I'll just go walk you through the, the uh, on the uh, onboarding process yeah so very simple okay so what we see is at first what equipments you have if you don't have all the equipments that is needed for burger, you're not getting the burger run anyway. Okay, so what we also look into is your team's expertise. Okay, so if they're biryani guys, 100% burger is not happening. So we will give you something else, right? That is more desi cuisine, right? So let's say you take Halim guys and there's another restaurant, uh, 200 meters, and then Osman is doing Halim guys also. The thing is, we let the audience decide based on your ratings and reviews, right? So if you're a good outlet, you'll get orders. If you don't you know, have the proper quality and never getting orders, right? And then eventually you will miss out. 
So we let the consumers decide on that. So what they're gonna, this is on the aggregators app, right? But on top of it, when it comes to you know, the D2C that we are building in a very different way, it's not even live yet, but what we are planning to do is basically the, uh, the customer will still see what space you have. So let's say if your kitchen is super busy, then it, it will take more time. So the customers will know, no, I want the food right now. This is hyper local, I want within 20 minutes. So let me pick one which is close by and also which is also free. I'll pick that one. So the whole decision making, we are putting it on the consumers and where they want to order, but they will have a lot of options. So it's not that we're going to force them. You have to take it from Razi's uh, biryani. So if you don't like Razi's biryani, go and take from Osman because they can see where the food is actually coming from in terms of the name, right? They'll see the address also. So that's on them. And the I'll just add to that the uh, amount, the portion, right? So eventually, let's say within seven days and 10 days, we know what this outlet can do. So our system basically tells the partners how much food they have to order based on the projection of the next three day sales. Because, uh, you know, they have to have certain stock also, right? So this is again automated. So the system will tell the partners how much they have to order. Okay. So so now maybe, maybe just to... Um to check my understanding right so what happens is you have all of these brands that you've developed and you're adding more brands and in future the d2c app that will that you will uh, that the b2c app that you will launch it is going to allow me to order any one of these brands right so i'm not ordering from any particular restaurant i'm ordering the brand and the restaurant that has the capacity and has taken on these brands they will earn this extra revenue 100% and even now if you order from let's say Patao or Hanginaki, same way you can see a couple of Halim guys out there from your location, you decide where do you want to order from. So you know, no one's pushing you to order from Osman, so that's fine. And in terms of the raw material purchases, um, the restaurant will only purchase the raw materials that are relevant to the brands that they carry, right? So it's not like in future I can buy 20 kilos of onion, 100 kilos of uh, dairy from you. That's not going to happen, right? In future. I mean, uh, not going to happen, obviously. But then again, you know, what we're learning from the industry is a lot of restaurant partners actually want it. They will be like, hey, boss, I don't want to go to the market at 5 a.m. in the morning. So they have to go to the, you know, Kacha Bazaar, which is the, you know, the, where they get the raw stuffs, right? So they don't want to go there. They want to relax at home. So can I, can you add few, you know, stuffs with this order? I said, we said, no, not yet. So we're not going to get into that business now. But yeah, going forward, if we see that all our restaurant partners, you know, want to buy, let's say, rice from us, then obviously we have an economies of scale. If I just give you one fact, even uh, the, uh, the packaging that we were buying six months ago, the cost with all the rising inflation, everything, but just because of the volume, we are now enjoying better cost from our suppliers. So again, for a restaurant buying uh, like one kilo rice and us buying 100 kilo rice, obviously the price will be different. So we can transfer that as a you know reduction or let's say discount to the restaurant partners also going forward. But then again, that is far-fetched. If we want to actually go into the business going forward, then obviously there will be an, a vertical, uh, there will be an opportunity because we have the uh, partners ready anyway. Okay, and uh, uh, I mean, in terms of partnerships at that level, um, are there any key partnerships that you've done with regards to the supply chain? Yeah, I, I mean, kind of we are partnered with all the major, uh, I'd say, uh, meat suppliers, with all the majors, let's say, cheese suppliers. But uh, because of the current situation, honestly, we had to focus on local producers. So the importer market, because of the whole supply chain issues, I mean, uh, we had to stop uh, purchasing uh, imported goods. 
तो ऑब्वियसली द गवर्नमेंट ऑल्सो इज पुशिंग इनफैक्ट ऑल द इंडस्ट्रीज टू फोकस ऑन लोकल प्रोड्यूसर्स बाई लोकली मेक लोकली तो फॉर दैट रीजन वी हैड टू गो एंड चेंज समायर्स एंड फोकस ऑन यू नो लोकली प्रोड्यूस गुड्स सो होम ग्रोन थिंग्स तो या आई मीन Uh, but i i honestly believe that you know we all go through tough times this is a tough time for the industry which will pass so once the global trade becomes normalized again so we'll be able to get all the uh, proper ingredients and it's not that we are not getting it now but obviously at a much higher cost so that is you know affecting our pnl and on top of it i think this is also an opportunity for us uh, to help the restaurants more because it's becoming almost impossible for them to make money at this point because of the rising cost so we are kind of uh, uh reducing our profit to the bare minimum now building the market share now uh letting more and more end consumers try our food so we are giving a subsidy to our restaurant partners so that you know they can make money okay yeah i mean and, and this is something that me and rafi picked up on when you know we come we're coming from singapore where food is is a national pastime and uh and so we we kind of understand the the demand that food has and and how that's core to uh culture um what we've noticed as well when we were in pakistan uh, only the other month was how integral food is to everything eating out is is important as much as ordering out and um uh, and so even even though we consider the impact of inflation and the impact of supply chain people still want to eat out and uh, and they're just looking for for ways to make it manageable during these tough times and potentially this is where you can come in if you can help reduce the cost in supply chain you can you can help these people um the restaurants still sell into into the market side they're catering for exactly and on top of it i just wanted to add something about bangladesh it's a it's a very unique country with amazing growth potential even during this tough time what we're saying the government is looking for over 7% gdp growth the next fiscal year so i don't think for the uh, you know our consumers and consumers there is any tough time so i believe people will keep on earning money and when once they have disposable income they definitely spend it on food and then and yeah i mean uh, th- that's the beauty of uh, having uh, 160 million people with 50% you know young people and young people are more likely to order online so th- that's why we pick bangladesh and it's not that we don't have we have very good connection in india also i mean we could have started this business in india also but we felt okay let's start with bangladesh and then eventually roll out to india because bangladesh has amazing potential i'm sure because obviously you have also invested in a couple of startups in bangladesh you guys know that so i mean for that reason we also hopeful that you know uh, even if there is a global recession if that ha- happens you know i don't think much of it will impact bangladesh so uh, so let's see let's hope for the best yeah the, the other partners that you've mentioned patel but there's food panda that operate in bangladesh as well what's their role do you see them as a, a partner a competition competition what's the the general thought around that Food Panda is one of those companies I mean uh, obviously they're doing amazingly well uh, they are our delivery partners for a couple of outlets but honestly if we want to scale and you know uh, let's say hypothetically we want to start in 60000 outlets a uh, food panda won't be the ideal partner only because uh, their asking commission and everything is too high 
my model honestly does not work and this is something that we always discuss with the fund uh, funder people right you see it's not going to work eventually because if you take such a big pie uh, i can give you volume i can give you good number of orders but honestly this uh, commission structure does not make sense in our model so it's never going to work and most of my restaurant partners are also not working with panda because of the commission issues but yeah i mean let's say we're still uh, discussing there still our partners they do uh, deliver for a couple of our outlets but uh, when we want to do it in a big scale whether they would be the ideal partner or not so i'm not still sure okay interesting because we've heard that comment as well from experience in pakistan right rasi yeah i mean we just in the previous episode we were we were having a chat with uh Patton, Patton app. They're also in the F&B space, and they were also talking about the big challenge with uh, these kind of deli- delivery partners, where they take a huge commission, and how that becomes prohibitive, cost prohibitive yeah. for the uh, for the restaurants. Yeah, and hence you see startups like Lunchbox from Nabil. So they are building, uh, actually bringing a big revolution in the sector, where they're inspiring people. You know, uh, first uh, to you know on you know add this website on their own. for restaurants and also inspiring the consumers to order directly from the restaurants so that's one thing but i still believe uh, if at the end of the day if i can uh, reduce the delivery time for the aggregators if i can place my outlets just next to the end consumers and if i can give them volume so these are things they will make money also so it's not that i don't understand logistics business yes we are not in the logistics business but i still understand that part so our goal is we want to give them enough orders or we want to give reduce their delivery time so that reduces their cost and then at the end of the day the the, the support that pathau and hanginaki is giving us uh, with the commission that they are taking i think it's a win win situation for everyone but if it's go above this i mean it doesn't work it doesn't fit in our model i mean and uh it Uh, just to go back to the standard operating procedure that you've got with the restaurants what happens if let's say there's me and Razi we're running our restaurant somewhere within 250 meters of each yeah. other um i happen to like deviate a little bit from your standard operating procedure what's the impact uh, how yeah. do you uh, you've mentioned that you enforce it but what do you enforce Yeah, a couple of things. I don't. I don't want to sound rude to my partners. They're everything that I have. But yeah, before they sign an agreement, you know, the agreement is almost 22 pages long. So it's a very, I'd say, a, a very difficult not to follow because there are a lot of legal implications also. And then obviously, at the end of the day, we have a standard. So our average review is currently 4.5 across out of five. If it comes below four, your outlet is turned off. So if you want to do business you better make sure that you are you follow SOPs otherwise if it comes below 4 then it's game over but yeah i mean by all means if you feel that hey i'm not able to make burgers i don't have the resources you know i my guy main burger guy left so what we'll do is we'll close this for you we'll give you another brand okay try an easy one and we'll give it to someone okay. else i mean what all i was right, thinking okay. is what i was thinking is if i'm if i were a restaurant and i want to cut a bit of corners right so maybe maybe your SOP says to put 200 grams of meat in the burger maybe i just put yeah. 180 gram or 175 gram and i keep cutting these kind of corners and see yeah. how it goes yeah you see that's the beauty of tech right so you cannot do that the whole recipe and everything is put in our software so we can see the variance how much you should order and how much you have ordered so you can't escape no matter what so obviously we are thinking of you know having so many partners individually we cannot go and pick right so the tech the solution will give me notification this guy did not buy enough this month go and catch him so that's also something we have in place 
Oh, that's that's very clever. That's, I think that's quite clever. Yeah, smart. Because we know okay. that what what can go wrong, what they can do, and I mean, so we are building. We whatever there is a whenever there is a problem, we're trying to find the solution within our own operating system, not manually. We don't want to solve anything manually. Uh, if we were to talk about the founding team, right? You've mentioned you you mentioned that. Where are you all located? Yeah. So uh, currently, I'm in Canada. Uh, I come back and forth with Bangladesh. I'm actually going back to Bangladesh for good from December. So my journey ends here in Canada now. So I'm now fully being allocated to Bangladesh. Uh, Choyon is obviously in Bangladesh. He's looking after tech. Uh, sorry, the operations. Drupajit is actually based out of Singapore. So he uh, has been uh, studying there for a long time. He has been working in the tech space. So he operates from Singapore. And Nafir is also based out of Dhaka. So three of us will be in uh, Dhaka, Bangladesh, and then Drupajit uh, will still be in Singapore. So that's the plan. Okay. I mean, and that's interesting to note uh, for other people that were uh, that are, are watching. Both me and Razi, we had this conversation about what's a red flag for a founder, yeah. and and when we heard that you were in Canada, we said. Yeah. Okay, well, what's your commitment to this business if you're not actually in the yeah. in the geography of of where you're trying to serve your consumer? Yeah. yeah, honestly, initial days we used to see this question, you know, big red flag. But when people used to say this business is growing, they are doing remarkably well, they're winning everywhere they're going. So why this happened? It only was possible because in Bangladesh, I've been doing business from the age of 15. You ask me any TV channel, anyone out there, do you need any connection? I'm the guy. I can help you with that because of the network that I have. So I don't have to necessarily be there to make anything work because just one phone call from my side is enough. But yeah, at one point it was possible. But now the volume that we're doing, the goal that we have, it's not possible anymore. So I need to go out there and when things go wrong, I have to be there. So uh, that's why we decided to relocate to Bangladesh because now it's reaching a scale where I believe that I have to be physically there. So, I mean, now it makes more sense for me to go back. I see. In six months' time, you'll be based in Dhaka. 60 outlets, yeah. In six months, inshallah, I'll be in Dhaka. And uh, 60 outlets is the target that we want to have by the end of uh, this year. So that is almost, if I consider both Patao and Hungry Naki outlets, that's over 120 internet restaurants out there. So it's, it's going to be an interesting ride now. So we are obviously raising funds to uh, add to that growth. So hopefully now that obviously we have the Techni Ventures also join, joining us, there are hospitality focused guys. So they're also going to help us with, you know, how to make this whole process more streamlined, how to, you know, because at the end of the day, the, our business is in the process business, innovating the process. So they're obviously going to add a lot of value in this, you know, how we can bring in more efficiency in the process also. So, yeah, so let's see. Okay. Uh, and this is interesting because, uh, again, for other angel investors looking to come in, they, these are uh, a good indicators that you've got investment from people who are experts in the industry. So, again, but before we move on, um, can you just give uh, give an overview of what, what these different accelerator programs are? There's Impact Collective that you mentioned. What do they do? Exactly what value have they brought? And also with Techme Ventures, what what they're going to be doing for you and how they're going to help you jump to that next level. Sure. So uh, we basically uh, been we have been part of three main accelerator programs. So the first one, obviously, Impact Collective, which is a community-based program where uh, people from different backgrounds, from different industries, come in and vote 
for uh, all the selected startups. So there are a couple of other startups also very good. They're doing so well. And all of them have uh, focused towards UN SDG goals. So we have also focused on SDG 8 and 9. So we have our own impact story also. We have discussed it over time. So uh, in that community, obviously, we were voted as one of the top, uh, I think, nine or seven startups out there. So there are a couple of others. There was one more from Bangladesh called Handy Mama. So, uh, so that's one. And during this whole program, obviously, we had guys, you know, angel investors there like yourself. And then we had uh, people coming from different industries who obviously you know, had sessions in terms of, you know, finance or let's say in terms of, you know, scale growth. So they all did the different session, which is very uh, common in other, I mean, sorry, in other accelerator programs also. So, but on top of it, what we felt was there was this opportunity to do one-to-one session with the people that we want to actually connect with. So we could pick, hey, this is the angel investor that I want to meet. And they would actually connect us with them. So anyway, eventually what happened was uh, we developed a massive network with potential investors. And also we have raised an investor from the Ventures Korea, which is, an uh, again, another VC based out of Korea. So they have also invested uh, a small portion. And uh, then after that, obviously, we joined the Gramin Phone Accelerator Program in Bangladesh, which is the largest accelerator program in Bangladesh. And that is supported by the Telenor Group. So there also we have received a grant uh, and on top of it, they have actually helped us, you know, in uh, I'd say in terms of knowledge of, you know, doing business in Bangladesh while having a whole co in Singapore, what are the legal structures, how we can do things this way. And also they have helped us to connect with actual uh, startup founders who have raised uh, four Bangladeshi startups from across the globe. One of them being Chaldal founder was by. So there are a couple of others also. So that's one value that obviously Gramin Fund Accelerator added. I have this whole post on my LinkedIn, why people should join, or let's say upcoming startups should join the Gramin Fund Accelerator program. And then finally, this new one is from the Techni uh, Infinity Venture. This is again a VC firm. They have opened up their own venture builder program where they have brought in all the top hospitality guys from Silicon Valley and across the US. And they will be guiding us, you know, how we can actually build uh, or know it to, I mean, take it to a global level where we can scale very fast, where we can obviously, as I mentioned that, you know, make the process more efficient using technology. So that's an amazing value that we are going to get from them. And obviously they will also invest in this round that we are raising. How much are they investing? So they have committed the minimum $50,000. So just same as Impact Collective. And then uh, after that, they will do the demo day where we'll be able to pitch to uh, different investors from the same sector. And let's see what we can do on that demo day okay cool just go through the um, sustainable development goals um, which ones are you addressing so we're mainly focused on two SDG goals I'll just go back to my slide I don't know if I can still share it so yeah, one is uh, okay so I'll just uh, say it very quickly so one is obviously decent work and economic growth which is eight SDG goal eight and obviously an industry innovation so both of them mainly the focus is about you know generating employment helping uh, people, uh, especially SME restaurants, you know, make money and making sure that all this happens while, uh, you know, they have access to very uh, cost effective and I'd say free of cost technology. So that's also something that we are using. So it's like using technology uh, to provide equal opportunities and decent work for everyone. So that's what we're focusing on. Okay, great. Um, so in terms of your, oh, go ahead, Percy. I was going to ask, because um, on the slide you mentioned that you have done a USD $210,000 of GMV. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the question, um, the question that I had was, um, what are the metrics to measure the success? What are the me- what are the metrics that you're going to be looking at to measure your success besides the GMV? Okay, so yeah, obviously GMV uh, is good, but our main focus at this point, obviously, because we want our products to be well accepted by the secondary consumer. Okay, so what we uh, every day on a daily basis that we track is the rating, the reviews. So the 4.5 that I have mentioned, average standard. So every night, even I personally do this before going to bed, I check the updated review for each and every single of my partners. I think now we have almost 25 running outlets. So this is something that we do without fail. That is the most important metrics, how well the end consumers are accepting my brands, right? So after that, obviously there are other ratings that you know what retention rate we have, even though we don't have that much of data because of uh, the data is mostly staying with the aggregators, right? So once we have our D2C, we'll have access to more data like retention and all that. But obviously when we do uh, reach out to them for any kind of data support, they definitely give us that support also. And on top of it, ensuring that at least there is 25% month-on-month growth. So that is also something that we focus on at this stage. Until December, we're going to ensure that. And yeah, so these are the couple of things that we uh, focus on in terms of numbers. Growth in terms of uh, volume of orders? Volume of orders, yeah. Volume of orders. Okay. Right. And what's what's the theme size currently and what's the monthly burn rate? So we are at almost 23 people uh, working now and including uh, the founding team. So we are burning almost uh, 10, oh, now the rate has changed, dollar rate has changed significantly, it has increased. So it should be around $10,000, if I give you a ballpark figure. $10,000, and you mentioned from the GMV right now, I mean, I did, I did a quick, quick calculation, you're doing about $15,000 of GMV per month, of which 60% you said is- This uh, month, inshallah, we'll do $22,000. What's your customer acquisition cost? Now, this is also very interesting. Uh, we don't exactly, cannot attribute uh, exactly because obviously we don't have the D2C model. So it comes from the aggregator, right? So an average, average if I tell you that, you know, just just give me, I'll give you a ballpark figure. It's around $45, it's less than a dollar. So it's, I'd say 50, 50 pence, yeah, cents. That's a, a less than a dollar Yeah. To acquire a secondary, secondary, secondary customer. So, okay, so we have two customers, right? We also consider our restaurant partners as our primary customer. Obviously, that yeah. that has a much higher customer acquisition cost. It should be around, let's say, twenty, or I'd say, uh, hundred dollars. Let's put a ballpark figure: hundred dollars to acquire one primary customer. And then once that is sorted, then we focus on the secondary customer, that is the end consumers. Let's say if you want to order a burger, so that is also something that uh, it's very important for us. So that should be less than a dollar for us to acquire that customer. The D2C platform, right? When when are you planning to launch a D2C platform? Because I think that's where you would probably see a growth in the volume and you have a lot more visibility on the numbers, right? Like you're saying Padao and uh, and your other partner don't share those uh, figures with you. So when when is the plan to launch the own no D2C platform? Yeah, so we are doing the development phase i'd say so it should be around august that we will be able to launch the beta for some of the outlets not all of them because we want to first try with some outlets and then officially roll out within december so that's the whole plan so there are a couple of things i mean it's not just any d2c it's a very powerful d2c with you know uh, loyalty and everything and obviously it has to be connected with that device that i've shown you 
so uh, a lot of work has to be done with that so uh, uh, so for that we are taking time by all means again we 100% believe in uh, growing our business with patao and hangrinaki the d2c is not to take away their orders the d2c is mainly obviously for the data uh, that we believe that we are missing out on so that that is the main focus and earlier when you mentioned that the burn rate is about $10,000 a month does that also include the uh the R&D and the uh, creation of the brands that you're mentioning. Remember, you're saying that you're focused on creating multiple brands, right? Uh, is that also included? included? Yeah, hundred percent. I'm cooking whole day. I mean, our R&D chef, even everyone, four of us, we cook every day and come up with new concepts. Still, still, we are very much focused on doing the day-to-day things, all of us. Because especially last month, we stopped the hiring for temporary, and we said, you know, we all have to take at least three to four persons' role. So that's what we do now. So, you know, R&D also something that we are all doing continuously. And then, you know, obviously we have a whole iterative process of doing the R&D. So it's not that we just make the food once. So it takes almost three months to launch one brand. So it's not a, you know, a very easy process. There's so much tasting out there, market tasting, you know, expert tasting, and then we come up with a menu. But what we have done is for the time being, we have stopped building new brands. Why? Because we have so many already, which are doing very well. Now we want to just add the restaurant partners and take these brands and increase their footfall I mean, increase their network. So that's what we're doing now. So now the focus is just keep on adding partners for the existing brands that we have. In terms of what you're raising, what you've got left to raise now, uh, can you just review um, how much you've raised so far uh, out of the total amount? What's left and how are you raising? Is it through a safe note uh, yeah. debt? Uh, how are you doing that? So uh, we did pre-seed when we started. Obviously, we have also bootstrapped. So we've put in a lot of money from our pockets initially. So including that, we have raised $120,000 that was for pre-seed. And then this seed that we have started this year started with uh, the ventures from Korea. So they have invested $50,000. The terms were very straightforward. It's a safe note. And the same terms that we are going to do now also, even though we have grown crazy from January to uh, June now, Still, we're keeping the same valuation, so uh, it's going to be $2 million pre-man money, 15% discount rate, and over a safe note, holding company in Singapore. So that's what we're doing now. So uh, on the same terms, uh, we have companies uh, like the VC coming in with $50,000. We have uh, almost $50,000 coming from two angel investors. Uh, Unfortunately, I cannot name them at this point because we are yet to uh, disclose that. And... So that that leaves me with $100,000. We have a lot of soft commitments in FIS, but we, are, we don't have anything rigid yet. So we are still welcoming a minimum of check size $25,000. Okay, got it. So it's a $25,000 minimum check size. You've got a $2 million pre-money valuation cap, is yeah. that correct? Yeah. Correct. Okay, and, uh, and uh, a 15% discount. Uh, and what, what's your current valuation? What have you currently got yourself valued at 2.5 but unfortunately uh, I mean I don't know why the speed has been a bit slow because we have already committed all these guys who are coming in now uh, the angel investors when we started discussion at that time the valuation was 2 million so now that we are closing with them we didn't increase the valuation even though we have grown our business so we said okay since we have already given I've given my words for 2 million let's stick to that but I mean yeah if any angel wants to come in then it's going to be the same term. So I don't want the whole round has to have the same uh, same valuation. That's what I felt. So we're going to stick uh, yeah. $2 million. So, so your valuation cap on the safe note with Impact Collective is $2 million. Yep. 
Okay, and your current valuation is already above that. But shouldn't that mean that your safe note should convert to equity? Yeah, so the way it works, I mean, uh, the share value will change. For Impact Collective, there will be a different share value when we actually do the price round. So the others with a different uh, count, uh, so not discount rate, the other cap, different cap. So their share values will be different when we actually convert. So we can we are taking like a safe over safe. So that's what we're doing now. What is the potential exit, Tamil? Uh, there, there are a couple. Uh, happy to share that. You know, even Bangladeshi startups are now being pushed by the government to go IPO. That's so. That's one. The standard one IPO is now possible for Bangladeshi startups. A lot of them are prepared to do that also. So we're going to see the very first startup from an. Uh, I mean, going into IPO. That's one. On top of it, what we see is a bigger opportunity is for a lot of aggregators actually to acquire us. Uh, let's say going forward, you know, five years or eight years down the line. Uh, because obviously we'll have a huge network in the market by then. We'll have our own proprietary brands. We have the whole tech solution. They will have a ready customer base, ready business to acquire. And obviously, since they're doing the logistics business, it makes more sense, obviously, to add this article also. So when they have fully, you know, I'd say utilize their logistics game, they can join this vertical. Uh, we have seen this from a lot of Indian uh, companies like Swiggy, and they have been building their own brands also. So, I mean, that's also an opportunity for them. You know, maybe Swiggy can buy us out. Okay. Are they also in Bangladesh? No, right? Just not yet. No, Swiggy is not yet. Yeah. So, so the other question I have really around uh, the competitive landscape is yeah. um, really how are you uh, defending? You know, how defensible are you? Uh, what, you know, a lot of people call it the competitive more. Um, yeah. Some would call it your unfair advantage. What yeah. is it that makes you um, able to, to keep ahead of a competition and new yeah. entrants? Yeah, two things. Obviously, uh, one is being uh, very much light on both expense and asset. That's one thing. And for any large corporation, uh, let's say, because honestly, we compete with all the global brands because the, our we are empowering SME partners to fight with the KFCs and you know the Pizza Huts, right? So obviously, what we feel that our speed of innovation cannot be matched by them. Being a startup, obviously, the whole team is focused on you know coming. Like I mentioned, like our co-founders were cooking every day, coming up with new items, you know, innovating in the product line, bringing in changes, right? So this is also something that we believe that it's not so easy for the corporations, right? Even if KFC wants to add a new menu, they have to go through 100 people, you know, need to sign on it, right? So for us, it's pretty easy. So we want to make the whole innovation part super uh, fast, super, you know, so that if something does not work. Get it out of the menu, add something that works. So that's something that we focus on. On top of it, we want to make sure that our cost in terms of expenses and everything is as low as possible. And not only for today, just because we're a startup, we'll maintain this going forward also so that we don't, in, I mean, significantly burn on salaries and all those things. What is the runway that you have right now? Runway, runway. we have almost for six to eight months we have easily. Yeah, because we we are just closing almost hundred fifty thousand dollars, right? So now we are going to focus more. But uh, I mean, again, since the next round we are going to do five hundred thousand dollars at five million dollar valuation. So I want to start preparing for that because obviously we never stop raising funds, right? <laughs> That's what a lot of experts say. So once I'm able to close this, so that I can focus on the next one. So there are also a couple of VCs that have shown interest for our next round of five hundred thousand dollars. So within one year, we are just doubling the valuation. So from 2.5, we'll go to and you know raise into 5 million. So there's a plan for next year. <laughs> I think, yeah, we, we had an interesting uh, discussion. I think uh, 
there are a lot of things uh, i mean we have discussed but yeah i mean uh, on top of it if anyone wants to know more obviously they can do it through osman razi they can reach out to me on top of it i'm very much active on linkedin so they can search athamid zaman on linkedin and i'll be happy to uh, discuss for any potential deals So thank you Tamit for spending some time with us to share more about Onno and what you are building in Bangladesh. So all of you have heard from Tamit you've seen what he's building and if you're interested in uh, investing in a startup do get in touch with him via LinkedIn. And if you enjoyed this episode please uh, like, comment and subscribe and we'll see you in a future episode. Thank you. Mm-hmm.